As we've seen over the past uh, several weeks of the study so far, how Jesus is our true and better Savior. Jesus is our true and better Rescuer. Uh, Jesus is our true and better everything. And that the Gospel is the good news that we are being rescued by a God who loves us and shows us great grace and great mercy in spite of our uh, sin and rebellion and clumsiness and everything else. So uh, today as we look at Hebrews chapter 3, we will continue uh, with this study. And let me pray and ask God uh, to uh, be with us in our time together in His Word. Uh, Father God in heaven, Lord, thank You for this morning, a time to gather with Your people, as Your people. I got a time to sing praises to You and to sing gospel truths over one another. Uh, God, I pray that um, in our time together that You would encourage uh, weak hearts today, that you would uh, bring comfort to the afflicted, uh, God, that you would awaken dead hearts to beat with new life, God, that you would stir up our minds, understanding, and our hearts' affection towards you, God, that there would be um, a saturation of your Holy Spirit in our gathering today as we open your scriptures, God, the scriptures that your Holy Spirit has inspired. Uh, so, God, I pray. Um, that you would use this time in an amazing way to shape us to be more like your son Jesus, uh, to shape us to be worshipers who are passionate about uh, singing your praises and proclaiming your goodness to all generations. And, and God, I pray uh, that all these things would happen for your glory and for our joy, and that the good news of Jesus would ripple out uh, through our lives from this place to the nations. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 3. Verse 7, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for forty years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart and have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. This is God's Word. Friends, the Holy Spirit takes our unbelieving hearts and makes them believing hearts so that we can follow Christ and finish well. And we cultivate this faith by His Word, by His Spirit, together. In 1993, there was a great movie called Cool Runnings. You seen it? The Jamaican bobsled team. It's one of my favorite movies. It has a great soundtrack. Nothing will get you in the 
Christmas holiday winter spirit like reggae. <laughs> but the movie's fantastic. It's a it's a movie about uh, a group of Jamaican sprinters, uh, runners, who uh, want to go to the Olympics for for running, and. Um, if you know the story, they're at the trials, they're at the run to, to, to qualify for the Olympic team, and as they're running, one of the guys trips, and four guys tumble, and face hits the ground, and it's a disaster, and they obviously don't get to cross the finish line, and thus they can't go to the Olympics as sprinters. But if you know the story, it's, it's amazing that, that faulting, their faultiness as runners, what caused them to fall actually opened up an opportunity for them to connect with a bobsled coach uh, from, you know, who was living in Jamaica at the time and um, had his own uh, history of disgrace and was kind of an exile from uh, the Olympic community. And so they connect with this guy and say, you know, look, we heard that you had this theory that sprinters would make great bobsledders, so, so we're here, we want to be uh, the Jamaican, the first Jamaican bobsled team. So you see, they formed this bobsled team, these four guys who had fall, who fell uh, from running, and they, they, they got back up, they meet this coach, they start a bobsled team, and you know, the movie's fantastic, it's great, it has some humor and good music, and throughout the movie, these guys are being mocked by other people who were just the, the cream of the crop bobsled Olympians, right? And they're just laughing, like, what do these Jamaican guys know about bobsledding. So the whole movie, I'm just going to spoil it for you, is about these guys trying to wrestle with their identity as Jamaicans. I mean, there's actually a scene where, where one of the leaders is saying, we need to, you know, the Swiss do it like this, the Swiss practice like this, the Swiss bobsled like this. And one of the guys says, look, man, forget the Swiss. We're Jamaican. We got a bobsled Jamaican, right? And so they embrace their identity as, as the Jamaican bobsled team, and it's just like one little triumph after another. The music's great. You get a little tear in your eye. You're like, yay, go Jamaica. Spoiler alert. Plug your ears if you've not seen the movie. But you know at the end, they're on their final run, and they're booking it down the bobsled chute. <laughs> and uh, the sled loses control and flips. And they come sliding just 100 feet or so from the finish. And they're laying there, and everybody's silent, and the leader of the group says, we got we to finish the race. I mean, we we, we got to finish. we got to cross the line, man. I mean, obviously, at this point, they couldn't necessarily win or beat anybody else, but they all crawl out of the bobsled, and they pick the bobsled up on their shoulders, and they walk together across the finish line to slow claps, which is always, like, you know, awesome. And you see, I love this movie, and I got to thinking about it. It's a great depiction of the Christian life, right? I mean, all of us have different stories from where uh, we come from or maybe our upbringing. I mean, some of us uh, start off sprinting out of the gate only to trip and fall and scrape our knee and maybe even trip up others, and we all just fall on the earth, face to the ground, and we pick ourselves back up thinking, what's my identity? I mean, am I a sprinter or am I a bobsledder, right? And then we wrestle together in community trying to figure out how to get through this race of faith together. And sometimes we flip and sometimes we mess up and we do so in the midst of mockery, people laughing, saying, who are you? What are you doing? Your life looks silly to me. I don't get it. And we see that God's word tells us that together we are to finish this race. We are to complete a race that has been secured for us. We are to cross the finish line to reach the goal that Christ himself has already secured on our behalf. 
We just have to cross the line. We just have to finish well. We see in the first century church, the author of Hebrews is writing uh, to the early Christian church who was facing much persecution. In the, in the Roman Empire, there's much oppression for the early Christian church. There are some who want to abandon the faith altogether. There are others who want to return to their Jewish heritage and their Jewish roots. And then there are some who are wanting to persevere together in the gospel, driven uh, toward obedient faith. And that's where we all find ourselves today. We find ourselves, here we are at a crossroads in our lives trying to figure out, do we want to, I mean, what does our faith look like in our lives today? Do we want to return to our past? Maybe it was a bad past. Or maybe it was a different uh, religious tradition or maybe whatever it is. Or or do you want to abandon the faith altogether because you're thinking, man, sometimes the faith just doesn't make sense. Like I'm trying to live this life and trying to do like this, but you know what? Uh, my marriage is still hard. My relationships are still uh, messed up. My, my job is horrible. I have no uh, understanding of where I'm going in life, so maybe I should just give up on the faith altogether. And others are saying, I want to finish well. I mean, I want to live. I want to know how to apply the gospel to my life in such a way to finish well. And so all of us here find ourselves facing doubts or fears or pride And so I want to ask you all to think about where you are in this scenario. Are you here today and you're a doubter saying, I'm not sure how the faith applies to my life? Or maybe you're here today and you're not even a believer saying, hey, I'm just just curious about the faith. I'm so glad you're here. Or maybe you've been a a believer for a long time and you're you're saying, look, as as I look toward the end goal, I just want to finish well. I want to obey and live in such a way that I cross that finish line to God's glory and my joy and to slow claps of other believers. Right? So we see that Scripture addresses this. The writer of Hebrews addresses this uh, here in chapter 3 today. You see the beginning of chapter 3, he is, um, the author is talking about how Jesus is, is greater than Moses, how Jesus is a far better priest, a far better deliverer even than Moses, who is like the greatest uh, hero of the faith of the day until Jesus came along, right? And so the author says, hey, hey Jesus is even better than Moses. His deliverance is far greater than Moses. Uh, his victory is even greater than Moses' victory. And he addresses for uh, the audience and for you and I today the issue of an unbelieving heart that is transformed into a believing heart so that believers together can follow Christ and finish well, empowered by the Holy Spirit and guided by his scripture. So let's look at this together today. The first thing we see is, is the reality of an unbelieving heart. In verse 12, he writes, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. That is a powerful verse. I mean, the fact of the matter is, friends, our hearts are prone to unbelief. Our our hearts are prone to be doubtful and to to doubt God's word, to doubt the truth, to be skeptical. In fact, our our Western uh, 21st century culture really hold that high. I mean, if you're a skeptic or a seeker or a doubter, I mean, you're the hero, right? I mean, you, you want to challenge the establishment. That's a, that's a value in our culture today. And Scripture tells us here that an unbelieving heart uh, is evil. Evil. If you have a heart that does not believe, it's evil. And that's kind of scary if you think about it. 
Now we have to see that, that the word belief can be translated faith or trust, and, and I want us to have a very clear picture of what belief is. I mean, belief at its core can be faith, but really it's an ongoing relational trust. Faith is not just, or, or belief is not just a conceptual idea, like uh, you just have to adhere to these five bullet points, that's your faith. Or, uh, or you just have to understand this kind of theological framework or tradition. Not at all. Faith at its core, but by definition, is an ongoing relational trust. Belief or faith is trusting every day, continually, in someone. And we know that to be Jesus. It's a day-to-day heart issue that will play out practically in our lives. So that's what belief is. So unbelief, obviously, there, therefore, is, is a lack of faith or distrusting or distancing relationally yourself from God. I mean, if belief is an ongoing relational trust, then unbelief is a, is a distrusting, distancing in the relationship that happens. And Scripture tells us very clearly that an unbelieving heart is evil at its core. And so as we sit here today, what's most important is not that I first address the how-to, this is what you must do to finish well, but rather the issue of the human heart, the reality that our human hearts are prone to unbelief, and Scripture says that is evil. And that is not good. And that leads to falling away from the living God. That's scary stuff for me. And when we look at Scripture here, we see that the, that the writer addresses the heart first and foremost, and then you know, to kind of make it so he's not picking on the first century Christians. So I'm not going to pick on you and say, your heart's evil and unbelieving. No, actually appeals to human history. Kind of quotes Psalm 95 in the earlier part of the verse there. He says this in verse 7, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation. And they said, and said, they always go astray in their heart and have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So the writer of Hebrews is quoting Psalm 95 that was written a couple hundred years before. And Psalm 95 is actually referring to something that happened a few hundred years before Psalm 95 was written. Uh, referring to uh, the exodus of God's people when God delivered his people from physical slavery, from physical bondage in Egypt, and and did so by showing them miraculous works and and miraculous miracles, sending plagues of judgment on the Egyptians and showing miraculous signs of grace to his people and doing just amazing things, right? You know, parting the Red Sea and saying, go across, I'm going to lead you to the promised land, and then giving the law to Moses on Mount Sinai and saying, hey, you're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. This is how I want you to live. It's not, you know, do this so that I love you. It's do this because I love you and I want you to to live a full life. I'm going to lead you to this promised land. But we see God's people rebel. They have unbelieving hearts. They distrust the living God who has shown amazing things to them who has done nothing but provide for them and protect them and lead them from bondage to freedom, lead lead them from oppression to thriving, taking them from being a captive people to a liberated people. And all the while they rebelled and had unbelieving, distrusting hearts toward the God who set them free. You see that the human heart is prone to unbelief and that is evil 
And that kind of evil leads you to fall away from the living God. Verse 12 and 13 tell us very clearly. Verse 13, exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. See, friends, an unbelieving heart is not just actions of rebellion, but it is, is a disposition of the human heart. It is a hardness that happens when you distrust the God who loves you, who created you, who is saving you, who is redeeming you, who is calling you, saying, I am your father, you are my child, come to me and I will give you rest. And we say, I don't trust you. I don't, I don't believe you. And you do that enough over time, your heart, your heart becomes hard. Scripture even says, I mean, in verse uh, 9, that they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. And so, friends, it's a, it should be an alarm bell for you and I to, say, uh, to, to take an assessment of our lives and say, well, uh, first, let's, let, let's, let's not look to the actions of do this, do that, and do that, but rather, let's assess our hearts. Are your hearts unbelieving? Are they distrusting toward God? Is there a lack of faith? Is there a relational distance between you and your God? Scripture says that is evil and that that evil plays out in a way that you will not know the ways of God that will lead you astray to disobedience and rebellion. It's a very real danger for every human on the planet. It's a universal problem and I want us to be real with ourselves today and say, what does this look like in my life? I mean, just... Think about where you are in your life. What does unbelief look like in your life? What does distrust in the living God look like in your life? Because the bad news is it's a universal problem. An unbelieving heart is evil, and it's an issue that every human except Jesus has. But here's the good news. The good news is Scripture tells us the Holy Spirit will take unbelieving hearts and make them believing hearts so that we can live gospel-driven, obedient lives of faith together. And that's good news. Listen what Scripture has. So we see the unbelieving heart issue, but look, in verse 12 it says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. Verse 14, For we share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence Firm to the end. I love these two verses. I mean, verse 12 says, Take care, brothers. It's an important word. I mean, in Scripture, brothers, it means brothers and sisters. It's a familial uh, term of endearment. I mean, your, your translation may say brothers, but, but in the original Greek, it it's, means brothers and sisters. And so it, it, the writer is saying, Look, brothers, sisters, loved ones, beloved fellow children of God. Take care. Take care that you don't have an unbelieving, evil heart that leads you to fall astray from the living God. Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we share in Christ. It's a powerful statement. Think about that. I mean, when you belong to Jesus, you, you, we share together in redemption. If you're a Christian, it's not a solo activity. <laughs> Jesus didn't die just for you. He died for us. He died for a lot of us. 
He died for brothers and sisters who share in Christ together. It's a, it's a mark of identity that's expressed in community together. I mean, it, it changes everything for you and I to look around and say, look, you are a co-heir in Christ. I, I'm a co-heir in Christ. Like with Christ together for eternity, we, we are, have this shared identity and community for all of eternity that, that we get to experience a little bit here and now. Right? I mean, with that identity, with that community comes a great responsibility, not only to yourself, but to one another. I mean, think about the family relationships you have. I mean, some of you maybe have broken relationships, some of you may have good relationships, but think about, you know, maybe you have a brother or a sister that you're very close to, or a cousin, or a spouse, or maybe children, or maybe just a friend. Like, think about your best friend. You're like, man, I'll do anything for this guy. Right? I think about that kind of commitment that happens because of an identity. Like I'll tell you, I, I just yesterday was one of the most amazing days I've had with my family. I don't know why, which is a great day. I like woke up and just singing, the sky was blue, the trees are green. I mean, it was just like gorgeous, you know. I mean, it was just one of those days, and we had you know music playing, and we just spent a lot of time together. Julie Andrews was like twirling in the front yard singing. I was like, what is going on? This is great. And I was talking to my wife about, uh, you know, I don't take for granted the fact that, you know, the Carr family is an identity we share in a community now. I'll do anything for my wife. I'll do anything for my kids. Anything. Outside of run from Jesus. But, you know, anything that was, is within my power to do that honors Jesus and serves my family, I'll do it. And, and if you think about that, it's my, my identity is expressed in this community now. Like, I'm no longer just Jeremy. I'm Jeremy who is... The husband to Melody and father to Emmeline, Jude, Sadie, and Nora. And that, that shapes my actions because my identity is expressed in this community together and that changes everything for me. And in the same way, the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, brothers and sisters, family, co-heirs of Christ, our identity is such that we share together in Christ. So that comes with us a great responsibility. And this is not something new that, that Jesus just uh, announces on, on earth, but rather it's a, a fulfillment of this ongoing theme we see throughout Scripture because God creates everything out of nothing in Genesis. He creates the first man and first woman to be in community together. And with him, they have a bunch of kids, and they're supposed to be families that form to, to follow God and to be in community with one another. We see that sin enters the world, breaks up everything, makes it hard. You and I experience that today, even in our family and friendships. Um, it's the sad truth of unbelieving, evil hearts. We see that God is creating for himself in the Old Testament a people for his own possession. He con- continuously says that he is a loving father and that Israel are his, is his wayward children or that he is a, a, a faithful uh, husband who's chasing down this wayward bride. And all the while saying that you are my people, you are brothers and sisters with each other, I am your father. And the whole goal is to lead them to a place of rest together. Verse 11 and, and verse uh, 14, 15 say that, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And verse 18 
And to whom did he swear they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see the effects of unbelieving, distrusting, evil hearts as a distancing from a father who is saying, come and rest. It's a distancing from other brothers and sisters who are co-heirs and sharing in Christ to the goal of rest. And so we see the effects of unbelieving hearts affect our relationship with God. It reflects our relationships with other believers, brothers and sisters in community. And we see that it prevents us from having rest in God together, but rather turmoil and disunity and Julie Andrews not singing in the front yard, but rather some horrible metal band, you know. But our hearts, in our evil, unbelieving hearts, there's like a little seed of desire to have rest. I mean, within us there's this desire to to want rest, to want community, to want relationship. And what ends up happening in our unbelief and in our evil hearts, we seek that rest in the wrong places, right? Think about where you seek rest. I mean, maybe it's an isolation. I mean, seriously, I just, I'll be, not me particularly, but I mean, it's very common to say, you know what, I need a break from my spouse and family. I'm going to get out of here. That happens, right? I mean, maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you've been the spouse who has been left at home while your spouse says, I just need a break from you. Or maybe you're the spouse that says, I've got to get a break from these people. Right? I mean, how do you seek rest? Is it in isolation? Is it in indulging pleasures that are not healthy? Is it relationships that are unhealthy? All of us seek rest elsewhere. And all the while, that's an effect of evil, unbelieving hearts that are relationally distant from God and distrusting who He is and what He's done for us. But Scripture reminds us that our identity is not that, but our identity is brothers and sisters together in community as co-heirs sharing in Christ. So how does this play out in our lives practically? I mean, how do, how do we finish well? Like what, what happens here? So Jeremy, I'm tracking with you. I see that my heart is evil and unbelieving apart from God. But the Holy Spirit takes that evil, unbelieving heart, regenerates it, makes it a believing heart so that I can share in Christ with brothers and sisters. I have a new identity. I'm no longer a sprinter that trips and scrapes his face on the ground, but I've been transformed to be a bobsledder, right? A Jamaican bobsledder, not just one guy in a sled, but with a group of dudes in the sled that have to work together so we can get down to the finish. You tracking with me? Right, you are. So how do, what does that look like? I mean, practically, let's get to the practical points. Because there is a lot of practical points to finishing well. Right? We, we can't hit the practical points first without dealing with the heart. So you're with me? Your heart is evil and unbelieving. Welcome to church. In Christ, you are a co-heir. You share with Christ. You, you share in Christ with other believers in community. We have a new identity. That's the good news. Only in Christ. Do you have that identity? Only in Christ are you being led toward that rest. So how do we finish well? Like what does that what does that look like? Verse thirteen and fourteen says this exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. 
For we share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. You see, finishing well comes with it not only the identity of being brothers and sisters sharing in Christ, we have a responsibility alongside of one another to to combat unbelieving hearts. Your unbelieving heart, your brother and sister's unbelieving heart, your spouse's unbelieving heart, your children's unbelieving heart, your friend's unbelieving heart, other people in this room, unbelieving heart. Like, it's a responsibility we have. If I sit in the corner and say, I'm just going to read my Bible and deal with my unbelieving heart, and I don't shepherd my wife with God's Word, then I'm ignoring Scripture's instructions to me as a husband. If, if I don't instruct my children in the ways of, of the gospel, then I'm neglecting my responsibility as a father. All the while, well, I'm just dealing with my heart over here just by myself. I'm so holy. No, I'm not. In fact, Scripture says that you know, somebody who doesn't provide for his family is worse off than an unbeliever. That can mean both physical provision and spiritual nourishment, right? Be ye warned. <laughs> So how do we finish well together? How do we hop in this bobsled and get down the track together? If we tip over, how do we get out and pick up that thing and cross the finish line and get some slow claps from the Swiss? How do we do that? Verse 13 and 14 tell us a few things. tells us that we exhort one another, that we hold fast our confidence. And then actually in verse 7, it alludes to hearing God's voice and knowing his ways. Now, track along with me, because to finish well is an outpouring of a believing heart. Like an unbelieving heart is distrusting God, distrusting others, it's relational distance from God, and that plays out with rebellion, disobedience, and sin. That's what Scripture says. A believing heart, on the other hand, is an identity that that has ongoing relational trust in God with other brothers and sisters in community leading toward the goal of rest in God forever. And that's such good news. But in the meantime, we're, we're in between, right? From here, destruction, to rest in God for eternity. And we find ourselves living life together. And we want to finish well. We want to do this race very well and get to that finish line, even if we're beat up and bruised, We're going to get through it together. And it's an ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in us and through us together. Now, how do we do that? We hear God's voice, we exhort one another, and we hold fast our confidence. Those are the three things that you can do in light of what's been done to you. You with me? Finishing well does not mean you do these things to earn your salvation, but rather you do these things in light of the salvation that's been secured for you in Christ. It's not do these things so that you can finish the race. It's no, you will finish the race because Christ has secured the finish for you, and you're going to finish well by doing these things. You with me? Like It's the work of the Holy Spirit in us and through us. Uh, One pastor said we can't start the fire, but we can add wood to it, right? So, Holy Spirit lights the fire, we throw some wood in there. Like that. Three things I want you to take away as far as what finishing well looks like. First, you hear God's voice. Hearing in in Old Testament Hebrew can can mean active listening. Not just like, what, did you hear that? Did you hear that? It's, It's like attentive, focused paying attention. It's, it's a receiving of news. It's listening well. And we see 
I love this. I mean, this is like, this is just ties all the scripture together. Verse 7 <laughs> says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice. What's so awesome about that statement is that it's a New Testament writer quoting an Old Testament book of Psalms talking about something the Holy Spirit did back in Exodus and making it very clear that it's the Holy Spirit saying it. (laughs) I love that. So this is the Holy Spirit's work in us to take unbelieving hearts to make them believing hearts. And then as the Holy Spirit says, so Scripture's inspired, there you go. says so right there. Today, if you hear His voice, that means attentive listening, to receive good news, to pay close attention. Friends, that's how, we, that's how we combat unbelief, is we listen to God. You've got to listen. You can't combat unbelief by reading some random poem or by doing some, something. I mean, that's not, you can't combat an unbelieving heart on your own. It takes listening to God. It takes hearing His voice to pay close attention to receive that news that the Holy Spirit says. If the Holy Spirit is the only one who could take your unbelieving heart and make it a believing heart, we've got to listen to Him, right? I mean, if you're not listening to the Holy Spirit, the only one who could change your heart, then you have no hope. None. Period. The Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. I mean, there's a clause there that if you hear, if you pay attention, if you receive the good news, you can combat the unbelief and cultivate a believing heart by listening to His Word. Or, you can harden your heart and say, I refuse to listen to that anymore. So friends, how do, you, how do you hear God's voice? How do you listen to the Holy Spirit? I'll tell you, do you read the Scriptures? Please. I mean, we have Bibles there we will give you if you don't have a Bible. If you don't like those Bibles, we'll get you one you do like in so much as it's a Bible, like a Christian Bible. If you need help learning how to read and where to start, talk to me or talk to somebody you trust because we want you to like eat this daily. I mean, if you if you close your Bible and put it, I mean, like, I'll just tell you something, man. I'm not going to tell on anybody particularly, but the church I grew up in, man, people would leave their Bibles in the pews so they could have their seats saved for next Sunday. And I'm like, awesome. So that Bible just sits there from Sunday to Sunday? That means you don't read it. And then that person would come and say, well, do you know what God's Word says? I'm like, yeah, apparently you don't. I was reading your Bible here this week because you left it here. I was kind of a smart aleck once in my life, a long time ago. God's changed me. Work in process. So friends, I want you more than anything to know, like, you know, we don't worship the Bible. We worship uh, the God whose Word this is, Right? He is the living God, but this is his word. So I want to listen to what the Holy Spirit has to say, so I'm going to open this up. And that's what we pray here every Sunday. Like Before I even open my goofy mouth to you in the sermon, before the sermon, we'll pray like, Holy Spirit, you have to give us understanding. Like Give us a mind to understand your word. Give us a heart to receive this good news. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, because without the Holy Spirit taking an unbelieving heart to a believing heart, we have no hope, no matter how cool and awesome our church is, because it is. I love our church. Hear his voice 
and do not harden your heart. That's why we have missional communities that discuss Bible stuff together. We have DNA groups and try to apply the word to one another's lives. That's why we gather together and preach the word and read the word and pray the word over one another and sing songs that are quoting scripture constantly because we want to be a scripture-saturated people because in so doing, we hear the Holy Spirit's voice and the Holy Spirit is the only one who can take unbelieving hearts and make it believing again. You with me? So... To finish well, we have to hear his voice. Secondly, to finish well, we have to exhort one another. I love this word. Verse 13 says, exhort one another. I mean, one another is a great phrase that's used throughout the Old Testament to refer to brothers and sisters in Christ, to refer to other Christians, to refer to the family of God together. We have this responsibility and an identity and community together to do things to and for one another. And the word exhort here. I love this word, it's, it's parakaleo in Greek. It means to call alongside. It's the same word that's used to describe the Holy Spirit as a comforter, as, as God's messenger, as an encourager. And so when you and I exhort one another, we are being vessels of the Holy Spirit to call alongside, to comfort, to exhort and encourage one another. That's awesome. Do you see the connection here? You see the connection because the Holy Spirit is the one by whom we hear God's voice. The Holy Spirit is the encourager, the comforter, the one who comes alongside of us. And that same word, exhort, is used for you and I as vessels of the Holy Spirit to do for one another. And that's awesome. Here at Redemption Church, we often say we want to be a people who's leading people to Jesus to lead people to Jesus. It's what we want to do. Constantly looking to Jesus as the author and perfecter of our faith. And constantly trusting the Holy Spirit to encourage us by his word and through one another. So friends, I mean, think about your relationships that God has given you. I mean, if we have this identity as brothers and sisters in community, we are sharing in Christ. We have this opportunity to foster believing hearts and to combat unbelieving hearts with God's word as we listen to it, and by exhorting one another in relationships, how important is it for us to get together? I'll say it again. You cannot be a faithful Christian in isolation. You just can't. You can't. You may think you can, but that's when you're being deceived by sin, as Scripture says. Right? I mean, that's what it says. It says, take care lest any of you have an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Exhort one another every day as long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So if you were saying, I don't want to be exhorted and I don't want to do exhorting, I don't like people, I'm going to distance myself, that's sin deceiving you. And that is your heart becoming hard and evil and unbelieving. And I don't want that for you because I love you. More importantly, God loves you. So, let us remind ourselves that we share in Christ our identity as brothers and sisters, that we share in Christ. So, let's hear his voice, number one. Number two, let's exhort one another. Let's encourage and parokaleo and just Holy Spirit wreck our hearts. I mean, you know what that means? This is risky. I just want you to know this is risky. That means you, you find someone in this church that you can trust and you sit down and say, let me tell you about my sin. Let me tell you the deceitfulness of sin that's creeping into this heart today. Let me tell you what unbelief is starting to look like. man. And, and have that rapport, have that trust to say, look, I'm doubting my faith today. 
Friends, I have numerous missionary friends who have been furloughed because they say, I don't even think I believe Jesus anymore. A dear friend of mine walked away from the faith and his family, and the man was a missionary. He had no one to talk to about his doubts and unbelief and struggle. And what ended up happening, his heart got harder and harder and harder, and sin deceived him, and he just walked away. So, this is a desperate plea for me to you. I can't make your unbelieving heart believe. I can't make your hard heart soft. I can't make your evil heart good. Only the Holy Spirit of God can do that. And I'm praying that we will witness that in each other's lives every day because we share in Christ as brothers and sisters. So may we hear his voice. By the way, that's a plural action. I meant to say that. The way it's written is like it's y'all hear his voice together. It's not you by yourself hear his voice. It's y'all. Like together. We have to hear God's word together. So this is important. Yay. Secondly, exhort one another. Encourage. Comfort. Come alongside. Of, put your arm around a fellow sinner and say, let's look to Jesus together. That's what I love about Christian community is we can just be goofy and sinful and silly and just messed up and say, well, you know what? Um, you're accepted in Christ, so I'm going to put my arm around you, you stinky sinner, and I'm going to put my stinky sinner arm around you, and we're going to look to Jesus together. That's what exhort means. And thirdly, holding fast the confidence in verse 14. For we share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. The author of Hebrews has said this already, and he'll say it again. <laughs> We hold fast our confidence firm to the end. That means trusting. I mean, that's just a close-handed issue. I mean, I will die for the fact and the truth that Jesus Christ was God incarnate who died to save sinners like me. I'll go to the grave with my fist clenched like that. I, you know, hold fast that confidence firm to the end. What that means is you don't cling to your pride and say, look how good of a Christian I am. You don't cling to your fear of, I don't think I'll ever be good enough. You don't cling to your guilt and shame of, you have no idea what my past looks like. None of that matters. We hold fast to the confidence of Christ's work on our behalf. We hold fast to the gospel. We hold fast to what we have Heard. We hold fast to what we exhort each other with in light of God's truth. We hold fast to that confidence that we are sharing in Christ together. That by His Holy Spirit, our unbelieving hearts are made believing hearts so that we may finish well together. And that's good news. Don't you agree? So as we come to a time of response... I uh, want more than anything for all of us to take a clear assessment of our hearts. Just be honest. If you're here today and you're like, man, I'm a preacher's kid, but I don't believe the Bible anymore. Be honest. Be truthful, because we want the Holy Spirit to speak through his word alongside of one another so that we could hold fast the confidence of the gospel. It's all we want here. So if you're here today and you are a doubter or a seeker or a skeptic or a cynic, you're in great company. Let's hang out. If you were here today and you were a, just a hardcore unbeliever, agnostic, atheist, or even a different religion, I'm so glad you're here. 
want you more than anything to hear the good news of Jesus, that he died for sinners, that he is the better rescuer than anything or anyone ever, and that in Christ you're a new creation who has a believing heart to have relational trust with the God of the universe. only happens in Christ by his Holy Spirit. And if you're here today and you are a believer, and you are a, especially if you are a covenant member here, but even just a believer in general, we are brothers and sisters in Christ together. May we be faithful and obedient to apply the outworkings of this good news. If you have a believing heart, that means you have ongoing relational trust in the person and work of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit has done that in you. That means we have this responsibility to obey and hear and listen to the Lord by his word and to exhort one another. I mean, we, that's relational. We have to be in relationship. Believe it or not, I'm kind of an introvert. New relationships are hard for me. Scripture says I have to exhort and, and you can exhort me. So we have to be in relationships. So let's work at that together, right? And then also to hold fast that confidence. So I love you guys. Let me pray. Father God in heaven, thank you so much for your good news. God, I thank you that you are the God who rescues, who is mighty to save, and who does amazing things for your glory and our joy and our benefit. God, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you indeed would open deaf ears, open blind eyes, awaken dead hearts, unbelieving hearts. God, I thank you that you do so by your Spirit and by your grace that we don't have to get it together to come to you, but we can just come to you as wrecked, broken, cynical, smart Alex, and you can rescue us and redeem us and transform us by your Spirit to be more like Jesus. So God, I pray that you would do amazing things in our midst, even today, that you would stir up unbelieving hearts to belief, that you would stir up doubting hearts to faith, that you would empower believing hearts to apply this good news in such ways that we listen well to your word and apply it, and that we exhort one another in the context of community. And as we hold fast the confidence of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we would be empowered by your spirit to go forth into the workplace and families and schools, neighborhoods, communities, to be salt and light to a dark and hurting world that is distant from you and that is unbelieving and rebellious and sinful. God, we are that way apart from your intervention. May we never forget that we are prone to rebellion and disobedience and sin, but that God, out of your grace, you rescue us. And so God, may that responsibility, of that good news fuel us in responsibility to, to steward good news to a, a lost, broken, dark, and dying world. God, I pray that you would do amazing things for your glory and our joy and that the good news of Jesus would go forth in Christ's good and holy name. Amen.